Oh my God, Klein, I didn't expect to get emotional this soon into the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Millennials Looking for Mentors. I'm Klein Aliardi. And I'm Elise Notariani. And thank you to Jefferson Health New Jersey for sponsoring this episode. Today we are talking with Queen Stewart. She's telling us about her inspiring, shocking journey of being diagnosed with breast cancer the day before her 36th birthday. She was just opening her new law practice that she owns, has a family, and this bombshell hit her and what does she call it? She didn't want to waste her cancer. That. So now she's doing all of these incredible things. And I know everyone says like incredible and inspiring and all this stuff when they talk about people, but like this is the real deal. Yeah, especially because when you meet her in person too, just like the amount of energy she has, you would never know that she had yeah. breast cancer. Like she's currently no. going through everything right now. And she is like the light of the room. Yeah, it's incredible. Honestly, just listen for yourself. We're just going to dive right in. Um, we're going to start off uh, asking about your reaction to the diagnosis um, and what made you, you know, decide to pretty much change your entire life. Is that a correct? I don't want to. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. No, I really did change really okay. my entire life. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was treating for cancer, right? So I was going through chemotherapy, which um, a lot of people, they have a, a pretty um, clear picture in their mind of what that means. Luckily for the advancement of medicine, it wasn't as bad as it has been um, times past, but it was tough. You know, you think about chemotherapy, you think about, um, you know, the sickness, the nausea, the vomiting, the losing your hair, which I did have those things, but not as bad as, um, you know, many people that came before me. So for me, I was lucky enough and fortunate to not have to work during that time period because I do have a spouse and a family that was very supportive. Um, you know, sadly, and I like to mention this whenever I talk to someone, I've met so many um, women who uh, did not have that privilege and they still have to work. And, um, and, you know, we really should do more as a community to try to combat that. Those are things that I think about and that I'm trying to figure how can I be a help. But anyway, I'm kind of getting off the topic. But I was uh, very fortunate to not have to think about work, right? And so I had just moved into a new office space in Cherry Hill, literally maybe four or five weeks before my diagnosis, right? Just signed a lease, um, had brand spanking new paint on the walls, bought all my furniture, and diagnosed with cancer. So. We just pulled back. Um, I, I spoke to my landlord who was I was leasing the space from and she immediately, uh, you know, looked for someone to take over the space and I put out postings to take over the space and I was fortunate we found someone pretty quickly. So my husband and I, we sat down and said, you, you just focus on treating um, this cancer. We're not going to think about work. And so I just stepped away from the office. Um, I gave away as many clients as I could. And when people called, I told them, I'm sorry, I just can't take cases right now. That's crazy. And how did that feel for you? Because especially as a woman in the position that you were in, you worked so hard to get there to have to take that step back. Oh, my goodness. Um, so my birthday is October 27. Um, the two weeks, three weeks before my birthday is when I found the lump. 
And I had already planned to have this big celebration. Family was coming in to not only celebrate my birthday, but to celebrate my office opening. Oh, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Um, because it is this month, right? Yeah. One year. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Klein, I didn't expect to get emotional this soon into the podcast. <laughs> Um, so we were really looking forward to celebrating. I mean, I got this artist from Newark, New Jersey. He did this beautiful plaque with my office name and he put it on the front of my door. And I mean, it was just so much happiness going on and just proud of um, the accomplishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to edit some of this. <laughs> I, we got you. Take your time. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Um, Just so very proud of the accomplishment that when it hit, I was like, <laughs> I mean, how do you come? It, it, you spend years as an attorney and then you get to a point where you always thought you would be. And it's like, well, okay, it's just gone. Um, but I learned later that it was gone, but I feel and I know that it was gone for the better. Um, and it kind of just took my life into a whole nother, uh, down a whole nother path. At what point did you realize that you wanted to make that kind of a permanent um, choice for you and that you wanted to pursue all of these things that you hadn't done before? Yeah. So. Um, Honestly, I don't, it, it's not permanent. So I always said from the beginning, um, I am not a, in a rush to get back to, definitely not in a rush to get back to running my own practice. Mm. Um, not in a rush to get back to practicing law. But I always knew that I wanted to be an attorney. I used to watch Matlock with my mother as a child. And I knew then that I wanted to do what he did in the court representing people um and having a really you know how do you say it if, I don't know if you know Matlock uh, my sister guys, used to watch it weirdly <laughs> enough <laughs> you guys are a little younger than me and I'm younger than my mother but yeah. Matlock, he, it was such an exciting show he was a detective but also he was an attorney and it just seemed really fascinating the things in the cases he had and it was always something different and I that's me I always love to do different things. I mean, I've always been like that. Um, so what was the question? Um, when did you decide <laughs> that uh, you wanted to, so maybe not permanently, but for at least a little right. bit? Right. I So going through chemotherapy and going through, um, you know, a breast cancer diagnosis for me, I couldn't even think about law. In mm-hmm. fact, when I stopped yeah. um, running the practice actively and I gave cases away and I stopped taking cases, there was such a um, like a stress release. I didn't know I was holding so much stress because so when you're in the middle of um, you know running a practice or whatever it is you may be doing, even you guys, the businesses that you have and the things you do, you're in the middle of it and you're having fun and you're working and you feel accomplished, but you don't realize there's so much stress building. At least that's how it was for me. And it when just I, becomes normal. 
it's like it, right it's just it's just the everyday everyone's doing it right they're getting up mm. they're going to work they're hustling they're bustling they're trying to succeed but when I went from running a practice to treating for cancer there was a level of a stress that just like lifted off of my neck like I it was like Which, oh, who says that when they get a cancer I, diagnosis I was like, oh, just stress thinking just that lifted. <laughs> I know, but it was, I was like, oh my God, because, you know, I had a private practice where I'm, I'm doing um, what we call general practice. So Mm -hmm. not just one area of law, primarily personal injury, but I did real estate. I was doing family law. I was doing municipal court. I was, whatever was coming my way, I was taking it. Right. And so I was successful and doing well, but my clients are all these mini bosses, really. They're Mm -hmm. all controlling my life. And so it was just when I, when I was able to get rid of them, (laughs) um, that stress was gone. And then as I went through my cancer treatment, I was like, I'm not rushing back to that. Mm -hmm. Now, as of late, as I come into my year anniversary, so to speak, um, I'm easing a little bit back into the law, but not the way that I was doing it before. Um, I'm not running my own practice. Um, I don't have office space, but I did take a client recently. Um, and I'm doing some lobbying. So you said that you did a lot of creative stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause you found a lot of joy, even when going through your, your treatments and we got to see it. We got to be there for some of it. I know. I know. So I always felt that I was funny. Right. And <laughs> And people have told me, you know, Queen, you're so stupid, you're so funny, you're so silly. And um, during chemo, I was like, well, maybe I can try to actually do comedy for fun. Um, I wasn't doing much else. Like, literally right now, this is a cute setup, but I'm in my room. And to my left is the bed where I just laid mm-hmm. and dealt with chemotherapy. And I had my husband put a TV on the wall because I'm not a proponent of TVs in the bedroom. But during chemo, I said I needed TV on the wall, and we I just sat here and I would watch TV and I would go to chemo and I would be sick for some days and then I would get energy again. And I'm like, well, I have energy. What can I do? I'm not working. What can I do? So I just found a um, stand-up one-on-one course that Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia has. They do them like back to back throughout the year. And I signed up. What was that first day of class like? Like, were you nervous or were you like, I got this, everybody? I feel like I feel a lot of pressure to just like be funny all the time. Yeah. Well, we were all um, in similar situations, not cancer, but we were all like my classmates, you know, we thought we were funny or was something that brought them to the class. And so when I came, because I'm your typical student, Right. I have my notepad. I sit in the front of the class, which is not a class. It was in the same where you guys saw my show. It was there where we had (laughs) class Sunday mornings. Right. And it just felt like a new course. Like I just took it like that, like, you know, like any other course I've done in my educational career. And it felt good because it was different. It was fresh. I was learning how to deliver a joke, um, something I never would have imagined before being diagnosed with breast cancer so are you a comedian now I am a comedian because you know what (laughs) 
some were seasoned <laughs> comedians would say, mm, you know, but Forget a, comedian, a comedian by definition is someone whose art form is to tell jokes. And um, I love to tell jokes and I love to make people laugh. So I consider myself a comedian. And it's not that easy to make cancer very funny. <laughs> and I felt, I felt bad <laughs> laughing at the jokes, which you called us all out on. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. And you know what? It, there's, it, I mean, what else can we do sometimes but laugh at really hard, um, you know, sad things? I and mean, sometimes it's the only way to get through it. And there's a lot of funny in cancer. Like you guys saw my head when it was like shiny skin bald. Yes. How was that not funny? That's like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Like what's wrong with her oh head? You know, God, but it's funny. funny. <laughs> so you're still are you still performing places I do I do um so I go to as many open mics as I can open mic is where you really practice your craft mm -hmm. like if you don't go to an open mic you're just not gonna do well if you try to have a show because that's where you know the test audience is and people right. will laugh or they won't laugh or you know you try new material. So I try to get to open mic um, because I am back doing certain work and, and being a professional again. Um, it's not as easy to get to open mic because open mic is late. It's at mm. night. Yeah. I, have kids, I have a husband. I have uh, other responsibilities, but it's a fun, it's a fun life. How? See, it's the like not laughing that really like freaks me out. Yeah. Like, ha have you bombed at any point? Yeah. When you're trying new jokes, they may they may fall flat. Yeah, I've bombed. I've bombed. <laughs> I've bombed. And and I just laugh though. Like it's okay. Like I like you know, you've probably heard this term, right? There is um how does it go? In the failure, I'm and I'm paraphrasing, um, the experience is in the failure or like you 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 grow from your failure. If you don't have that bomb or you don't fall on your face sometimes, how are you going to get back up and become stronger? So I don't, I'm not afraid of bombing at all. In fact, if I bomb and you go back and you tweak the joke, I'm not going to give up on my joke because what I found is if I think it's funny, there is, there's something funny there. I just have to keep working at it. Interesting. How, um, can you tell us about your latest open mic in Atlanta? Oh, oh <laughs> my goodness. Okay, so we were visiting my mom. My mom's in Atlanta. Um, my sister's there, um, niece, nephew, and a brother. So we visit, we try like two times a year at least. And because I'm doing comedy, if I go anywhere, I Google where are the open mics. Like I, that's how you get, you know, yeah. different places have different crowds and mm -hmm. jokes land different at different places so I just I found an open mic and um it was there it happened to be like very lively that night I mean there were um how do I just lose my word there were celebrities there that night <laughs> I'm like, oh what's the word yeah there was a, a really famous R&B singer there that night there was a well-known comedian and um and it wasn't a good open mic because people, the audience wasn't good. Like if the mm. audience wasn't mm. there for the comedy. So. Oh my the, God. 
So, like, sometimes that happens. Like, the yeah. audience, they're just there. They're talking to each other. They're barely listening to the jokes. Oh. But um, they saw me, and this R&B singer who was in the crowd, he interacted with me as I was on stage with, like, messed up my whole bit, but it was fun. Oh, no. You can name drop, you know. Who was this? This was, his name is Jacquees. And he's a oh. very, Jacquees, he's a very popular R&B singer, young man. I think he... He seems young to me. I feel old now, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has five million followers on Instagram. Uh, I checked. Yeah, because yeah, because well, you posted on Instagram and you tagged him. Did he like? He did understand. not repost me. <laughs> lame, rude, <laughs> very lame. But comedy is not the only thing you're pursuing. You also have a business called Darling Little Strings. and we were hoping you could talk a little bit about that. Oh yeah, and thank you for bringing it up. Darling Little Strands um, was my baby and still is my baby because I need to give her more nurture. <laughs> um, I think you so, have a good reason. Like, you know, yeah, you're kind of dealing with some stuff. <laughs> I took I took a little break. Yeah. Um, Darling Little Strands, in a nutshell, is a company that um, uh, produces satin, satin baby bedding and mm. uh, bonnets for sleeping for children. And the purpose of that is to keep the hair nice and moisturized. So I have two girls and our hair, um, my hair and their hair, it gets really dry. Curly hair tends to get really dry. Um, A lot of people of color deal with dry hair and believe it or not, cotton sheets, cotton bedding draws the moisture from your hair, which then will cause breakage, right? And the stack. Yeah. And so with the baby bedding, because you can't really put a bonnet on a baby or any type of, you know, they're, the sheets are satin and they're beautiful. And I have mermaids and I have um, princesses and I have crowns for the little boys, this unisex. And so I started this um, really because I needed it for my own girls. Mm-hmm. And then I just you know, found a manufacturer and produced the sheets. I sell it on Etsy. Um, I just need oh. to promote it more. I need to get it out there more. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I feel like there's just so, such a different mindset and such a different way to, um, you know, provide value to people than law. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you, my mind is, uh, I'm an idea person. And law, although I love it too, is not my only interest. It's, it never mm-hmm. has been. Um, and that's why I'm so very grateful, which I know this is going to sound crazy, but I am grateful for what I went through this past year because it, it gave me the license to just sit in different areas in my brain that I've avoided or that I've put to the side. And so I just started to listen to myself, like in all aspects of life. Like if I want to do something, if I have an interest in something, if I think I'm good at something, why am I not pursuing that? Yeah, I love that. And I think it's hard because sometimes you talk to people about a lot of times you talk to people about their careers and they're like, oh, I one track mind. I always knew what I wanted. I always knew where I was going. And then when you're not someone who's like that, or you're interested in so many different things, I'm like Mm -hmm. that. I think clients like that. You feel like there's kind of something wrong. Oh my goodness. Like it's so hard. So I was at a conference these past two days and they want to know, well, well, what do you do? Why are you here? Because everyone's networking. And I, it, it gave me an opportunity to practice 
you know, my pitch because it's not like everyone else's. It's not, oh, I'm a lawyer and mm-hmm. I want business. It's like, I'm a lawyer, but I'm also a motiva- motivational speaker now. And I do sell satin baby bedding. You know, I'm just someone who wants to to touch and help as many people as I can, which is really why I think we're here on mm-hmm. this planet. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you give us your pitch? I'd love to, because I would love to hear how, because I, similarly, I also have a bunch of slashes, you know, the, I do this, 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 and this. So mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear how, how you went about that. Yeah, it was, oh, I was grateful that I was able to practice it. Um, And by the end of day two, I think I was pretty good. So, nice. I mean, pretty much, you know, I am an experienced trial attorney um, who through one of the hardest times of my life, you know, battling breast cancer, decided to look at my interests to see where I can bring myself more joy and to try to do those things as quickly or soon because you just don't know when um, tragedy tragedy will strike in your life. And now I want to spread that message to as many many people as I can, as loudly as I can about creating urgency in your life, about following your dreams, about spending time with your family if you're doing not doing enough of that um about just sitting with yourself to see you know they and I heard this term at the conference um audit auditing yourself auditing mm-hmm. what you're doing in your life to make sure that you're bringing yourself joy but you're also helping people mm-hmm. and so that's what I'm here to do and I hope people will allow me to do it. And I thank you guys for helping to amplify my message. Of course, it's an amazing message. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your next project? Well, I am creating a documentary. Um, oh, yeah, that's cool. About, yep. About creating urgency in your life. And it's pretty, it's been my story. My production team, they follow me to doctor's appointments. They've seen me do comedy. They visit visited my hometown with me. Um, they'll be with me when I keynote uh, cha- the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Southern New Jersey's Women's Conference this month. Um, and so that documentary is going to really highlight, I hope, um, the importance of doing for yourself now. Um, so that's happening. Uh, what else is happening? Well, I did audition for a theatrical production <laughs> in New York. Um, fingers crossed. I did have two callbacks. Loki. But... I'm sorry. Loki. <laughs> so yeah, that's amazing. I've always been a performer. I mean, I've done talent shows as a child. I've been in the cotillion. I sang. I danced. Um, it's always been a part of me. So I put up a profile on Backstage. I don't know if you know Backstage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, for, it's for actors and performers to find gigs. And this particular gig reached out to me, said, would you please audition? And then I auditioned and I did a self-tape. And so I'm waiting to hear back. That's oh, awesome. That's neat. Oh my God. Good luck with that. Fingers yeah. crossed. That's so really cool. I, I just want to bring up though, because you obviously like, you've been doing so many things. You've been really rethinking your life, but a lot of people do this and they don't make it 
public? Like how, what made you want to be so public and forward about this? Um, I felt that like to, to keep that to myself, like all of the transformation that was happening in my mind, to keep that to myself just didn't seem fair. Sorry. You're good. Um, I truly believe that we're not living to our full potential, a lot of us, and that we're just a part of the structure of the rat race. And to be forced to sit down like I was, right? Like, stop. It was like, I mean, I was I was on a trajectory to just be like stressed. Like mm-hmm. that was my trajectory, right? And and into the outside world, it was success. Oh my goodness, this girl from Asbury Park, she went to college, she went to law school, the first in my family to do any of those things. Now she's running her practice. Wow, amazing, right? And then to be forced to sit down and to think and reflect about um, how can I really be happy because I wasn't happy. Like I felt like I was accomplishing things and I was looking good to my family and I was a role model role model to my siblings. But now I am, in my opinion, I'm I'm so much more to my children now than I would have been on that road. Because they will look and see that, you know, my mom when hit with something so hard, she stood up and she started to do things that actually made her happy. Not things that she was expected to do, but things that she really wanted to do and, and brought her joy. And that I can make a, a a living off of too, because I'm good at so many things. Like as a woman, especially in a woman of color, we don't, um, we don't say loud enough that we're good at things. Like be mm-hmm. proud. Like if you you have a lot of slashes uh, behind your name and you're so multifaceted, that's okay. Not everyone's going to accept it. And trust me, I've already felt that from friends and family, not quite understanding, but it's not for them to understand. It's just for us to live in our true, true purpose and to be authentic to ourselves. And this is who I am. And so I want to say it loud because there's other people who are just like me, but they're not living it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us today. We really, really do appreciate it. I really want to give you a hug, which is a bummer because <laughs> we're like, nah. yeah, we're all very far apart. Yeah. <laughs> um, well. Thanks to Queen for being so open and honest with us. Uh, you should totally follow her on social. She's Queen underscore Esquire underscore on Instagram. And definitely make sure to follow when she's performing comedy next because we went to her first show and I legitimately cried. It was like, that it was so fun. Hilarious. All right, make sure you tune in next time. We have episodes of Millennials Looking for Mentors every other Wednesday. Plus, if you know someone you want us to talk to, shoot us an email at mlfmpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye.